Hmm? Ready, huh? All right, good morning. Good crowd this morning. Beautiful weather. Even if it was raining, it's a good day to be in the Lord's house, right? All right, we're going to be in 2 John this morning. 2 John. Those of you that were in my Sunday school last week, we, you might hear a couple things similar, but we'll expand on some of the material for you. Second John, one of the 13 verses is all that we got in this, this uh, epistle. Brother Matt did a sermon, I guess it's been a little over a month ago, where he did Second and Third John in one sermon. I'm going to do two verses, how's that? Uh, yeah, and he did a wonderful job on it, but we're going to expand on some thoughts and those that are able to attend our class. We're going to kind of break this, you know, small but yet powerful epistle down. As The more I study it, the more I get dug in, and I'm just wanting to really just dig in and get all I can out of this. It's some, it's some good stuff. Before we get started, though, let's have a word of prayer and kind of open up our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, it's again such a wonderful day, a wonderful and exciting opportunity that we get to come into your house, Lord. We get to spend time together. We get to fellowship together as we did prior to uh, class time. And it was so great to see people visiting and just sharing their week with each other and laughing and, and just enjoying time uh, as a family, Lord. We didn't take time to take prayer requests, but again, I have no doubt there's many in this room that if given time would be recognized or unspokens be raised. I just ask that uh, you work in each one of those situations as you see fit and that uh, your perfect will will be done in each situation and just give us the strength and the uh, to be able to accept that, to be able to see the work uh, you working in those situations, Lord. Those of us, those that aren't with us this morning, we pray for them and let them know that we love them, we miss them, wrap your arms around them and bring them back to us um, as they get to feeling better or, uh, you know, get back from a trip or whatever. Lord, as we open up your word, help us kind of see the the meat that's in this this lesson, and, and uh, we're going to speak plainly today. Help me to, to do so and to, to uh, say what needs to be said. I mean, we're we're going to talk plainly, but we can do so in a loving way as well. Dear Heavenly Father, again, be with us during this time. Prepare Brother Lynn even now as he uh, finalizes his preparations for services to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, we got 2 John here, of course, written by John. Uh, 13 verses, it got me kind of thinking, what are some other short but powerful uh, messages or uh, speeches that were done in the past that made an impact? Um, Gettysburg Address, you know, the address that turned the tide of the Civil War was but a 10-sentence speech. I didn't realize that. I really didn't. I, mean, I never, I guess, you know, if I've read it, 
I never kind of put it together that it was so short. Ten sentences, turn the tide of the Civil War. George Washington's second inaugural speech, a mere 135 words. Don't you wish they were that short now? You know, now you tune in for a State of the Union, it might be an hour and a half. You know, back then, they, you know, they said what needed to be said, and that was all they said. You know, they didn't fill a lot of uh, dead time there. FDR, again, the speech after Pearl Harbor. I mean, you can imagine the anxiety of the country at that time. He spoke for seven and a half minutes right after that. So when you got a, a book like Second John and you come to it, and in, in my Bible at least, and maybe in yours, I got Second and Third John just right next to each other on single pages. You, you, we kind of have a tendency to go, well, it may not have as much meat in it as say, you know, the whole 50 chapters of Genesis. But there's a lot in this little book. And I hope uh, we begin today looking at a couple of verses. I hope that you find that true as well. The main theme of the second epistle of John that we're going to talk about is truth. Truth. Now overall, and again, Brother Matt did a wonderful job breaking this down for us. This book was written to a lady who um, kind of, she was welcoming people into her home, itinerant preachers that you know, like our missionaries, they go around to different churches, and while they're in a particular location, somebody may invite them into their home, or, or you know, we, we put them up somewhere. And she had done this in a hospitable sort of way, but it turned out this, these preachers were preaching lies. And Paul come, or excuse me, John comes along and is, in some way, rebuking her for this. This is the overall theme of this, but we're going to, again, look at the first two verses. And when we talk about truth, you know, we have no problem believing the truth of natural science, say. If I were to take a bowling ball, hold it at my hand, and drop it, does anybody think it's going to float? No, it's going to drop, right? And it's going to drop at what, Matt? 32.2 feet per second per second? the rate of gravity, it will do those things, right? And I imagine there's nobody here that would debate me on that fact, right? Nobody. We mentioned George Washington. Anybody want to debate me on the fact that George Washington was the first president of this country? Now, unlike the bowling ball illustration, I can't meet George Washington. I've read books about him. I've seen paintings of him. I even uh, was fortunate enough, I went to Mount Vernon on a trip one time and got to see his house. And I even seen the tomb where he's entombed at. None of those specifically 100% prove his existence though, but nobody questions it. Nobody questions that. But yet, when we get into the realm of of spiritual things, well, it becomes—it seems to become a lot cloudier very fast. But I think as a 
as a group, as a society, don't we desire truth? I think we seek truth always. Um, most people I talk to, and even, even I'm starting to migrate into the used to, of course, I use um, as an ex-police officer, I like using illustrations there. I used to couldn't watch these shows about policing or investigations, but now I'm starting to get into them again. It's kind of cool. What's the whole goal of that? You start out with something in the beginning that happened and you don't know the truth and through 30 minutes to an hour, you learn the truth. And there's a, an attraction to that, right? Watching Forensic Files or some of these shows. Yeah, Matt's shaking his head. We desire the truth. We like those kind of things. We like to be uh, kind of tested. And uh, I always enjoyed going to school believe it or not, or going to college or studying. I enjoy those things. I like learning new things. Now, Mark, you're an FBI for how many years? Yeah. That's what we do in FBI, Faith Bible Institute. We are constantly studying Scripture, and we're learning something every time we go through that class. I think we all desire to know more truth. And nobody likes to be called a liar. Anybody ever been called a liar? Man, that'd get your hackles up in a hurry, won't it? You know, we, Matt and I were in an industry that if you get called a liar, you're done. You're done at that point. All we have as, as officers or had was the fact that if we went to court and rose, raised our hand and promised to tell the truth, that the judge as a police officer took extra weight on that. This is a police officer. He's going to tell me the truth. I have no incentive to lie. So all I have is the fact that I tell the truth every time. As a supervisor, occasionally, and it is rare, uh, I have worked instances where officers did lie. And unfortunately, in one case, you know, my question during this process to him was, you were caught lying, you admitted you lied. What's your career as a police officer going to be now? You've lied. If you go to court and a defense attorney were to ever ask you, have you ever lied? You're going to have to say yes. I lied to my supervisor at the PD just last week. What's going to happen to that case? Gone. He had to resign on the spot. And you're done. So we put so much weight in truth. And we should, shouldn't we? There was a day when if somebody said something, it was counted as true. You know, if Brian were to come to me and say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's, you know, let's, uh, we're going to, let's, sell a car and I'm okay I'll give you 5,000 he says yeah we handshake on it that's all it took right I can't come back later and go man thanks for that $3,500 car whoa wait a second you shook on five now we got to have contracts and everything to support these things now we all want truth we seek truth telling the truth has been ingrained in us from the moment we were children my goodness I can't tell you how many times, you know, we heard that as, as a little child, right? Just tell the truth. To the point that even if you did something bad and you told the truth about it, the punishment was less, right? 
But if you lied about it and got caught, whoo-wee, right? You learn not to next time. And we mentioned it, our justice system is based on truth and the pursuit of truth. Go to court. Again, you raise your right hand and you promise to tell the truth. Lie and get caught in court, go to jail. I mean, it's that big a deal. Truth is important to us as a society. Where does all that truth come from, though? No truth exists without God's Word, right? There's consequences for not telling the truth. A couple of names came to mind. Remember Lance Armstrong? Tour de France. Tour to, maybe it's France. France. One of them. France. He said, I have never used performance-enhancing drugs. Until about whatever years later when he said he did. Pete Rose, I have never gambled on baseball. Until he wrote a book and said he did. There's consequences. And society will kind of shun you away if you are known to be a liar. And we have, no sta- we have no problem as a society having standards against lying. When it comes to our judicial system, sports teams, athletes, celebrities, all of this, we got no problem as a society on this. But when it comes to spiritual truth, well, this becomes inconvenient real quick. We used to pass laws in support of truth. Think about it. We used to hang the Ten Commandments in our courtroom. Where did the laws for murder, stealing, theft, trespassing come from originally? It came from the Scripture. We used to pass laws as a society in support of Scripture. Even adultery, to my knowledge, is still illegal. And a felony when it was passed on the books. I, I was asked a couple of times to prosecute spouses for that, but we never did. But it's on the books, adultery. It was that big a deal when that law was passed many, many years ago. We used to pass laws to support truth, but I want you to kind of think about where, where we're at now as a society. We pass laws to support lies. I looked it up, 29 states, the majority of states in our country have laws allowing trans athletes to participate in athletics for the identity that they identify as. In other words, females playing in men's sports and men playing in females' sports. 29 states have laws supporting that. We pass laws to support lies. Of course, uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned recently. Well, that just kind of heated up the abortion debate all over again in society. And we got states passing laws to, to, uh, to 
continue and support abortion, even even late-term abortions and abortion pills. I mean, it's hot and heavy now. They're really, and it's the majority of the states, not the minority. We have a law. We we're passing laws to support lies. You know, I kind of said we're going to talk plainly on some of these issues today. But when you're talking about truth, don't you? Don't you have to talk plainly? And then how about creationism versus evolutionism? You know, and as a society, we kind of went, well, well, we'll go halfway. We'll, we'll, we'll give a little bit. We'll say, yes, everything was created, but there's this unknown gap time in there, which is not true. Absolutely not true. You throw an unknown gap time in there where we like to say, well, this is where the dinosaurs exist. But remember, fall, the fall of man hadn't occurred yet. There was no death. There was no sin. How did all these dinosaurs die during this gap theory if there was no death at that time? So it's a false, false notion. So I went around. I was kind of looking on this, and I found a, a paragraph that... And this came from a supposed... Uh, I'll say they say they don't support either one they're just given the facts let me read this to you while many Christian denominations do not raise theological objections to the modern evolutionary synthesis as an explanation for the present form of life on planet earth oh did you hear that while many Christian denominations do not raise theological objections? What Christian denominations are these? Various socially conservative, traditionalist, and fundamentalist religious sects and political groups within Christianity and Islam have objected vehemently to the study and teaching of biological evolution. Some adherents of these Christian and Islamic religious sects or political groups are passionately opposed to the consensus view. <laughs> so if you don't go with the majority, well, then it must be false. We're at this position in society now that the majority gets to decide what truth is. Islamic religious sects opposed to the consensus view of the scientific community. <laughs> Literal, and oh, this, this sentence just gets me. Literal interpretations of religious texts are the greatest cause of conflict with evolutionary and cosmological investigations and conclusions. Duh. <laughs> greatest cause of conflict. In the beginning, God. And if you start there, you're considered an outsider. You're considered an outsider. And John's going to teach us 
through this small epistle in these 13 verses that truth matters. Truth matters. And that lies also matter. And when lies come up, when deceit is there, we're to call it out. Now I want to, at this point, throw this in. Because I, I, you know, Matt did a great job in his lesson when he combined these two books in kind of saying we need to call out truth, but we need to do it in a Christian way. And I 100% agree with that. I'm going to kind of take a, a, a little a hard position this morning on just truth and lies. It's understood that we're going to do, deal with this in a Christian way, right? I think a lot of people think, <clears throat> okay, we're, majority of us, I would suspect, here this morning are saved. Sunday morning, 9.30 Sunday school, before church, the majority of us in this room, I would suspect, are saved. And I think, you know, there's no debate. At this point, we're in the truth, right? You have the truth indwelled in you in the Holy Spirit. You believe that the Bible is inherent and that it is uh, support and everything in here is true. If you're saved, you believe those, those things. If you're not saved, then you're in lies. You're at the point that truth, you don't believe in truth. So the fact that you don't believe in truth results in you believing in lies. I think we like to think, well, as we grow older, as we get, begin to learn more, and as I reject Scripture, then now I'm in lies, and until I get saved, then I go to truth, when in reality, you were born into lies. Remember, you have uh, the sin trait in you, passed on from Adam, right? You have that in you. It was born in you. You were born into lies, and you're there until you accept truth. There's no middle ground here. There's no kind of, well, I'm, at this point in my life, I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't believe in the lies, but I don't believe in the truth. Well, then you believe in a lie. There's, there's all kinds of lies out there. But there's one truth, right? There can be only one truth. So that was the introduction. Let's look at verse 1 of 2 John. The Bible says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, there's a lot right there. Uh, again, Matt kind of mentioned it. We'll briefly acknowledge John here calls himself the elder. At this point in life, he would likely be the only living apostle left. So, you know, he's identifying himself as an elder. I have something to tell you here. Please uh, pay attention. This is important. And he's writing a letter, he says, unto the elect lady. And a lot of debate here. Is he writing to a specific person? Or is he writing to, figuratively, the Christian church and its members? And I've read good commentaries supporting both 
positions. The ones that say he was writing to the Christian church as a whole acknowledge that the Christian church throughout Scripture is referred to in the feminine sense. So they're like the lady of the church. They also say that in this verse he says, I'm writing to the elder lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And they say, well, John as an elder in the church would never write a letter to a lady whom he says he loves. That would be just... You know, that wouldn't happen. But then I look at 3 John, which is real simple if you look at the first verse of 3 John. The elder, John again, unto the well-beloved Gaius, writing to a a specific name, whom I love in the truth. It's the same terminology. Nobody makes that comment, of course, with 3 John. I actually believe that he's writing to a specific person based off kind of studies on that. Now, this is a good point for me to say, as we mention some things later on and we start talking about truth and that there's one side of truth and if you don't believe the truth, then you believe a lie and thus you're not saved. This is one of those areas. This is opinion and we can find out when we get to heaven and ask John exactly who he was writing to it really doesn't change the substance of the scripture for us. But what com- what unites John and this lady and her children? This is what John's saying. He's saying, "Whom I love in the truth." And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. He's saying, I'm writing to you as a fellow believer. He likely knows her from his time serving at this church. So he's writing to her. He's saying, uh, elect lady and your children, whom I love in the truth. The truth is what combines us. The truth is what we all have in common. We all sit here, some of us like OU, some of us like OSU. Some of us, Republican, Democrat. Some of us, if you're eating salmon patties, like your bone in versus taking the bones out. Right, Marla? All that's just kind of uh, opinions that really don't have much substance. But when it comes to the truth is the thing that we all have in common. Every one of us in this room. When you have that fellowship time and that's the love of the brethren, the, 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 the truth that we all share. And then John goes uh, in verse 2 to say, for the truth's sake. So continue those thoughts. He says, whom I love in the truth and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. You know, he's saying we're saved Christians. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're sealed. You'll be saved forever. Nothing's going to take it from you. And we have that assurance and we have that, uh, that belief and that connection together. We are set apart. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through the truth. We're all 
have that truth in common and we're sanctified through that truth. We're set apart. And if you continue in John 17, 17, it says, Thy word is truth. The word is truth. Now, if you continue in verse 2 again, for the truth's sake, for the truth's sake kind of means a defense of the truth. Some things are worth standing for and standing against, are they not? You know, like I said, I don't, I try nowadays. Yeah, I have my opinions when it comes to political debates. I don't really get caught up into them very, very, very seldom, unless it covers a topic of truth. You know, I just, it seems nowadays all those debates just kind of uh, separate people and, and cause contention, so I tend to just kind of stay away from it. Uh, but now, truth, that's worth standing up for. Uh, somebody wants to debate or, you know, if, a, if, a, if we have a, a, an unbeliever who doesn't understand the truth, I'm going to take the time at that point to tr- explain to the point maybe they can understand so that they too can accept that truth. Truth needs to be defended. Truth needs to be stated clearly. I think this is where nowadays we get a little hung up in uh, trying to say things sometimes in a way that we don't want to offend people. I mean, you can offend everybody nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange, actually. Truth needs to be stated clearly. And it needs to be clearly taught and clearly preached without reservation. I love this church. I love how, you know, we'll pick a book and we're going to go through it. And man, if it's, we're there. Well, let's talk on it. Let's preach on it. Let's teach on it. I love that part of it. You know, if you're do- teaching topical, sometimes you can kind of, ooh, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I want to do that this week. But when you're going down through and God says it's time to, teach on this to preach on this you do right truth needs to be stated clearly and we have already said what are some of these in the beginning God if, if we got a trouble with that statement then we're off base from the beginning literally right in the beginning God basic truth God made man and woman basic truth Yet society nowadays, I think last time I looked, you could be 35 to 40 different classification when it comes to uh, orientation. Ah, It's just mind-numbing, isn't it? It's basic truth. Jesus was born of a virgin. Basic truth for, for Christianity, right? Some argue that point. Some argue that point. There is one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, that's basic truth. That's Bible truth. I've tried in a couple of lessons to explain that, and I struggle every time. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, it, that's a difficult concept to, for us as uh, humans to understand. But it's true. Just because I understand it don't make it not true. But it's true. 
Jesus is, is God. He's deity. Uh, there's a lot of organizations that would argue that very point. But it's basic truth. Jesus lived a sinless life. Some say, well, no, he was just a good teacher or a prophet or just an ordinary. Some say he didn't even exist. Basic truth. He lived a sinless life. Not my opinion. I get that from Scripture. All of this you get from reading this book. Jesus was crucified and died. Some thinks he wasn't crucified. It was, it was Judas that was in his place or that he didn't die. He just kind of was unconscious when they took him off the cross. And Jesus was resurrected, conquering death. Jesus will return again, right? Clearly stated in Scripture. You're saved through faith and faith alone. Basic truth. So many religions out there that want to say, well, it's a, you know, you're saved through works or you're saved through um, ceremonies or some other thing. No. There's many, many verses. You're saved through faith. Baptism does not save you. I mean, you know how many people died because of those last two statements? Saved by faith and faith alone and baptism does not save. I mean, we're talking thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people over the years have been martyred because they were confronted with believing these things and whether it was a particular religion or uh, a uh, king or queen or somebody saying, you know what? No, change your mind now. Stand right here and say you don't believe that while they're tied to a post getting ready to get lit on fire. And they said, no, I believe. And they were martyred. I, I've probably mentioned it before. I've heard pastor mention it. If you want to have a life change experience, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Not a very big book. It's really not, but it's powerful. It, it's powerful. It really kind of puts you in perspective of today, the, uh, the attacks we get are nothing. I mean, they really are. You know, what's somebody going to do to me? Say something on Facebook? or I mean, really, they're probably not going to kill me for believing. They're probably not going to burn me in the stake in the town hall. I mean, those things are probably not going to happen to me. I don't face that type of, of situation nowadays, neither do you. We're, wasn't anybody parked on the highway out here writing down our tags as we came in to persecute us later. <clears throat> but there's been periods of time where those things did occur, and people died. I mean, it really, it's a powerful book, powerful book. Again, works do not save and then you cannot lose your salvation. Can't lose it. You're sealed. Done. You can't lose it. I heard uh, John Yates just this week. He said, if you wanted to lose it, you still couldn't lose it. Because <laughs> if you're a son of God, he ain't going to give you up. 
Now, you can sit there and, and try to lose it, and you still couldn't lose it. it you're, you're sealed. It's done. Some of the basic yet profound truths that we cherish, any variation of the above doctrines, the doctrines that I stated, are lies. They're lies. And what did we say when we studied 1 John? Any variation of those truths, if they're preached, if they're taught, they're lies, and the people that are preaching them and teaching them are what? Antichrists. 1 John says it clearly. Expect to be on the outside of society as we proclaim these truths. Now, Jesus said this. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. 7.21. Jesus says, <clears throat> excuse me, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wondrous works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew ye, you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is where there's going to be folks that say they believe these things. But don't. It's just words. Now, the context of Second John is he's telling us to use some discernment as we support, as we allow maybe somebody into our home. Or when I say home, think about it as if we allow people into our church to preach to us, to teach to us. We're to use some discernment here because it's more than just us calling them in and saying, do you believe these things? Yeah, absolutely, I believe those things. And all they use it as is a ruse to get in front of you to begin to preach lies. So Second John's kind of teaching us, you know, we need to use some discernment here. There's a lot of lies out there. I looked it up. Uh, yesterday, there's some 4,000 different religions. 4,000. Christianity, uh, generally the top five, Christianity, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhists. And I got a kick out of this one, third on the list, unaffiliated. <laughs> unaffiliated. It's still a lie. Uh, you're unaffiliated, you're, you're lying, right? <clears throat> Christianity. Anything else, again, I'm speaking plainly. <laughs> um, anything else, now can you attend a, a, a Catholic church and be a Christian? I think you could. I might question some things, but I think you absolutely could. Walking into this church doesn't save you. So I think you can be in these other areas and still be a Christian, but... You know, it's going to be difficult and, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other topic. 
So we need to be able to test the truth. We need to be able to have these people approach us and we need to be able to test the truth. How do we test the truth? Is what they're saying consistent with this book? I mean, is it consistent with this book? And if it's not consistent with this book and this book alone, then they're not telling the truth. It's not that they're telling you what's in this book and what the latest commentary said. They've combined it and they're going, no. Is it it consistent with this book? Then it's truth. This is the litmus test. Charismatic uh, folks like to, they say, well, it's, it's the Bible plus divine revelation. So if I get some divine revelation that's inconsistent with Scripture, now I got it to, it's, it's the divine revelation is what carries weight. No. <laughs> You're adding things to the Scripture. Catholics want to say the Bible plus the Pope plus tradition, plus church teachings. All of this is what interprets the truth. No, it's the Bible and the Bible alone that interprets truth. Anytime you're adding something to this, you're getting in that realm uh, and likely there to where you're misinterpreting or misstating, and, and you're, uh, if you're misstating truth, then you're in the, in the realm of lies. You're in the realm of lies. So as we continue in 1 John, and if those of us that, or those of you that attend our class, we're going to kind of break this down as we go, but again, the, the uh, premise here is we need to be able to discern the truth. Well, how can you discern the truth? Well, if we're saved, we possess the truth. Nobody argues that, right? But I need to be able to, if somebody comes to me who wants to uh, get saved or says they're saved, and man, can I, can I teach one week or can I, you know, will you put me in contact with your staff there and I really want to get involved. I need to be able to discern whether this person is genuine or not. And how do I, how am I able to do that? By knowing what's in this book. By reading it, prayerfully considering it, meditating on it. By learning as much as I can about what's in this book. That's why I love Faith Bible Institute. As every three years we start up the cover and we go to the other cover. Every three years and, uh, we have several in our class. I think Marla is on her second rotation. Uh, Cindy and I are as well. And we have others that are on their sec, almost finishing up uh, section two and getting ready to go start our third rotation. How many is the right one? As many as you can get in. Because you're, every week you're learning. You're learning something. You're learning a different application or a different, uh, uh, you know, if you read your Bible, you'll come across a section ultimately that you've read 10, 12 times, and now all of a sudden it hits you right here, and you're like, wow, now I get that now. So how do we discern the truth? This book. 
And as John continues in this letter again, we'll start to kind of learn how to do that a little bit more and as a cautionary tale for us. We're not to support lies or anybody that does lie. So, Dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for our Sunday school hour. I hope that, um, again, while speaking plainly about these truths, I feel... Uh, comfortable that these are truths that you uh, that you totally support that come from your scripture that are the foundation for our faith in you give us the uh, security to just be able to proclaim these truths to defend these truths and then give us the willpower and the, the the want to be able to learn as much as we can from your scriptures to be able to discern the truth We pray all this in your glorious name. Amen.